Hi, this is John. And today on the podcast, we are talking about footnoting grace. It's that concept where grace gets put in the background after salvation. Many of you have had this common experience. You come into the Christian life by believing in Jesus Christ. It's a heavy emphasis on grace through faith alone, not of, a, not of any works. But then the emphasis on grace tends to go to the background because we're afraid that people might sin. They might go on and sin, the kind of the Romans 6-1 experience. We, we help explain the dangers of footnoting grace and where grace really should be in the believer's life. And in The Unfiltered, we talk about lordship and radical, and we find out some interesting information about Justin. So we hope you enjoy. Welcome to Theocast, encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ. Conversations about the Christian life from a Reformed perspective. Our hosts today are Justin Perdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina, Jimmy Bueller, pastor of Christ Community Church in Wilmer, Minnesota, and I'm John Moffat, pastor of Community Bible Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee. Gentlemen, it's good to be here today. And today we got uh, Justin, you got you got cultural update. Yeah, hey John, what's going on? So in my world, there are a couple of big things that are happening this week, one more important than the other. The first update from me is that my oldest child, my oldest son started kindergarten yesterday morning. So this is a big Ooh. thing in the life of a young mm. person, big thing in the life of our family. <laughs> so we're getting yeah. used to the new morning rhythms and the routines and he's got to wear a uniform to school, which is real. Mm. So trying to get his yeah. you know, shorts right now because it's warm, but then he's like button down shirt and a little clip on tie and getting all that stuff situated wow. the right way, Come making on, sure brother. that we don't get a bunch of like food on it or anything like that before he gets out the door. That's real. <laughs> yeah, and right. so in our house, the mornings are pretty intense as I know, I know they are for you guys too, but we've got four kids and the oldest one is in kindergarten. So the, the audience can do the math on that. So there's yeah, always, I think, uh, I think you trump the rest of us. I mean, four under five is that's, that's intense. That's, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's not for the faint of heart. It's amazing. <laughs> it's true. And and we we chalk that up to uh to God. We 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 believe that he has good things in store for us and that children are a gift. <laughs> they the are. Second thing, and they and they the may come thing, in the office at any moment while we're recording. You never <laughs> know right. when people are going to bust in. Cameos. Yeah, exactly. So the uh-huh. second yeah. thing going on in my world is not as important as my kids, though it is a big deal to me. College football starts this Saturday. Come on. So, oh, come on now. Hey, come on, preacher, you know, you've been reading my mail. So yeah, the, the season starts, the season starts this Saturday and I'm pretty excited just because Saturday's in the fall with college football, maybe a little bit of bourbon in terms of life on earth, like after my wife and my kids and things like that, that's pretty, pretty, pretty great deal to me. Um, so I'm looking forward to, to some football this fall. Yeah, man. So Justin, let's, uh, let's ostracize the listener. Um, we always like to do that. We, oh, yeah. we love to. So what, who are you cheering for? I mean, who's your team? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to give, I'm going to give a couple of positive responses and then a negative response because why not? Oh boy. So Come my alma mater, Furman University in Greenville, South Carolina is division one FCS level for the audience that's aware of all these categories. So I pull from my, my alma mater, obviously in terms of uh, division one FBS level, I actually pull for the TCU Horn Frogs have been for about a dozen years. I like the way they play the game. And so, yeah, looking forward to watching those two teams play this fall in the area of the country where I hail from. The Clemson Tigers are a big deal. 
And I have family that went there, played against them in college. So I have pretty you know, strong feelings about this. The Clemson fanfare in my area of the world is pretty over the top. And we, I like to oh, joke yeah. personally about the, uh, the letter that they add into their school's name. So <laughs> the university's name is spelled C-L-E-M-S-O-N. But around here, people refer to them as the Clemson Tigers. They add that Clemson oh, sure. in there. Clemson. Now, n- not to hate on Clemson. They're, they've got a great team. They've been on a roll lately. They're actually easier to tolerate now that they're as good as they've always thought they've been. Um, no. But yeah, so I'm not a, not a, huge, <laughs> not a huge Clemson fan. Well, in, fan. The, uh, in the members podcast, we're going we're gonna to reveal some information that you may not know about, Justin, relating football oh, yeah. that you probably would find interesting. So I, I see what you're doing there, John. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Justin, would you say that Clemson fans are not very gracious towards others Ooh. i i might Ooh. say that i'm not very gracious towards them oh and, all right yeah. yeah but yeah all right it's a good transition there smell- Jimmy. yeah you smelling what i'm stepping in <laughs> absolutely smooth smooth like we say around here smooth as a south carolina highway oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah so today guys uh that's what we're talking about we're talking about grace grace and actually what we really want to talk about is the idea of footnoting grace, you know, putting, putting grace in the background, if you will. And so what we mean by that is obviously within the realm of Protestantism, you know, we don't even have to talk about the Reformed world, if you will, but really the realm of Protestantism, I, I think we're all quick to recognize that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone. You know, if you wandered into any Protestant church and you threw around those phrases, you know, for the most part, people are going to be agreeable. Yes, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone. But however, what can happen is we can throw around that language, but then we almost have to give this but, but, you know, we need to add to that. Like, we need to qualify that. So, what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, first, to maybe define some terms, you just use that, that wonderful biblical formula. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. When we are talking about grace, that is in opposition to our merit. So, grace is the unmerited favor of God that saves us, not our own worthiness. We are saved through faith as opposed to our works we are actually looking away from ourselves to the works and the merit of another person and that person is none other than the lord jesus christ we are saved by jesus so when we use this formula we want to be really clear it is not that faith saves we understand biblically that jesus saves sinners And the vehicle through which his merits and his righteousness are applied to us is faith all by the grace of God, having nothing to do with us, our worthiness, our willing, our striving, our working. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. So I grew up in a Baptist background, and one of the ways I understood grace for many years was it is what got me in. So I am saved by faith, the grace alone. It was very clear. Now my baptism. It wasn't my church attendance. It wasn't my parents' salvation. It was drilled into my head. 
But grace was the beginning point. It's what got me started, but it was not the focus. It was not what drives the Christian life. What drove the Christian life for me was obedience. So grace became the footnote. It became the, 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 the part that we left behind. It's the beginning stage. It's the entry stage. And that's kind of what we're trying to, what's what we're trying to bring up here is the idea of footnoting grace is it's really the beginning point. Yeah. And so in terms of the experience of many of the listeners, how this looks and how this often goes is you're sitting in a service or maybe you're at a conference or whatever, and but you're listening to the word preached and the glorious truth of the gospel, the work of Jesus Christ in the place of the sinner, the grace of God that is shown us in Christ, and the fact that we are drawn to Christ by the sovereign grace of God, by the Holy Spirit, and what Jesus has accomplished is applied to us, and we have all of the righteousness that would ever be required of us. Like We can't add to what Christ has done. We can't take away from what Christ has done. And immediately upon that wonderful news being heralded, like within a nanosecond comes the qualification. Yeah, but don't misunderstand me. You know, That's this right. does not mean that you can yada, 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 right? And so that's the experience of so many people sitting in the pew. And then mm-hmm. even to the pastor, the preacher out there, so often I think the tension is felt like, oh, I don't want to be misunderstood. So I need to qualify what I'm saying lest my people run off into lawless and licentious living. That's what we're talking about right now. A great yeah. example of this would be anybody who's preaching the prodigal son. That is probably um, one of the most radical sermons, radical illustrations from Jesus, where a young man who does everything he shouldn't, and when he comes back, he is trying to come back with work. I will go and slave for my father. And in yeah. that moment, maybe I will earn enough favor for him to bring me back into his home, not as a son, but as a slave. And the son yeah. shows up. And what does the father require of him? You need to put on my ring. You need to put on my robe. You need to let me throw a feast for you. You need to come. And he requires nothing of the son except for to receive this mm. ongoing grace, which then, what does it do to the self-righteous son? What does it do to him? Makes him angry. How dare yeah. you treat him yeah. after he, and that's what grace does to us. It causes us to see it and say, ah, that, that, that seems imbalanced. Yeah. And yeah, so Justin, you brought this up, you know, the idea of moral laxity, the fear for moral laxity to Mm-hmm. run rampant within the church or lawlessness or apathy regarding holiness. And and let's just be clear that d- do those things exist within, you know, Christ's visible church? I, I would say yes. I would say yeah. certainly there's moral laxity and lawliness and apathy. But, I, you know, I might want to say something crazy here. And, and you know, some <laughs> people might disagree. But I would almost say that we see a lot of this moral laxity or this lawlessness, or this apathy regarding holiness, not necessarily because the grace of God is pushed so hard, but rather because the law has been pushed so hard. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I mean by that is, you know, we give people these lists of commands, these lists of imperatives without kind of rooting them in the indicatives of gospel mm-hmm. truths. And so it's almost like telling the alcoholic, stop drinking, stop drinking. Right. 
stop drinking. And, and, and what happens after so long of that is, you know, stop drinking. You're going to ruin your life. You're going to ruin your marriage. And we haven't really given them the power over it. Right. Rather, we just, right. we just keep giving them the fear of the command. And so it almost drives the person, the congregant, the believer to a deeper despair that I can't, I can't stop this habitual sin. I can't stop doing this. I can't mm-hmm. be that radical or whatever. You can insert your sure. own ism there. And so it's almost that they, they become morally lax or lawless or apathetic because it's like the alcoholic. They just keep going back to the bottle because they're in such despair. Yeah. They've been pounded to death by the law. You're exactly right. And, and that kind of inner legal spirit that exists in all of us, we, we wig out in those moments. And it's like people just run away from the law and the commands of God as fast as they can. I think it's really interesting if we look to the scripture and we look to the apostolic pattern with respect to this issue. So in maybe the greatest letter ever written, the the letter to the Romans that Paul wrote, after he has expounded the gospel, and in particular, the glorious truth of the imputation of Christ's righteousness to the sinner by faith, he anticipates an objection. It's like, hey, you know, you've just said that where sin was, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And so, Paul, are you saying that we should now just sin all the more so that grace may abound? And he says in Romans 6, 1, by no means. But right. notice what he goes, where he goes next. He doesn't say, by no means, let me give you all these commands to follow. He doesn't respond with law. He says, by no means, you have been united to Christ by faith. Here's the reality. Right. You, you have been united to Jesus by faith. You have been raised with him to walk in newness of life. You have been set free from the dominion of sin. Yeah, the presence of sin still remains, but you are not under bondage and slavery to sin like you once were. And you, in one sense, now obey because you can in Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and these movements that we are speaking of, they came about what I would say from a a good um they they, they made the right observation. So you have radical movement, you have lordship salvation movement, you have all these different movements where they are pointing out that the, there are people claiming to be believers. I am a follower of Jesus Christ, and yet there seems to be no fruit. There's no evidence. There's no desire to participate in the things of righteousness. There's no desire to participate in the church. So they make these assessments where people, um, unfortunately, have been led into the Christian faith by a sinner's prayer, if you've ever heard that phrase before. So they Mm -hmm. said a prayer, but the moment that they said the prayer, there's no difference. There's no difference in attitude. There's no difference in change. So this is a very Wesleyan in its understanding, very Arminian in its understanding. And this is where these, this, this fear, and we've used this word a couple of times, moral laxity. What, what we mean by mm-hmm. that is that we're afraid that people's morality, they're not concerned about being holy because they yeah. don't see their need. They they are assuming grace. I live in grace, therefore I don't need to be moral. Or nominalism, sure. meaning that I don't need to adjust my life and live according to the plan and instructions of Jesus because I live by grace. So the fear of moral laxity, the fear of nominalism then says, well, we're, we can't we can't keep preaching grace at this level because then people will continue to live this way. Therefore, right, right. we're going to remind people of their responsibilities. And what happens to grace? Grace gets put down in the footnote. So they'll remind people you're saved by grace through faith alone, but now 
now that you've got that in, you know, implanted into your head, here's how you have to live. And now grace becomes kind of uh, the undertone. It's, 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 it's no longer what's being shouted from the, the mountaintops. It's kind of, you know, you, you know these things. Let's talk about more important things like your holiness. That's right. Sure. I mean, what's interesting is we observe the history of the church is that there has always been this fear. Whenever the gospel, like faith alone, by the grace of God, and Christ alone is heralded, there have always been people who rise up through the history of the church and say, yeah, but if you preach that, then people will inevitably run off into licentious living. They won't care about holiness and obedience. Mm -hmm. The interesting observation to make alongside that is if we look at the, the history of the church, what has given rise to so much of the nominalism that we see in our day is actually this very Arminian, Pelagian, man-centered theology that yeah. led to revivalism. It, it led to this kind of decisionism where we've got to put people yeah. in these moments of moral crisis and, and, and emotional crisis where they then make a decision for Christ. So then we have all of these unbiblical methods being used, people being manipulated and even coerced, making these professions of faith, you know, in one sense, in their own strength. And then we're astonished that, oh my gosh, like they're, they're not living like Christians live by the power of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps it has something to do with the theological underpinnings of those methods. Yeah. Spurgeon, I believe, said, you know, we don't have to be taught Pelagianism. You know, we get it in our mother's milk. You know, the idea that you know that, that legal scheme, that legal scheme way of living. And so, even as we think about, you know, distinction, the distinction between the law and the gospel. You know, we don't want to be preaching gospel. You know, if you think about <laughs> preaching or 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 heralding, you know, the law and the gospel. You know, I think the great way to do that, obviously, is you you begin with the law. You do not cheapen the moral demands of God. You do mm-hmm. not lessen the purity of God, the holiness of God. You know, you 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 bring to the foreground how pure, how holy, how righteous God is. You know, and as R.C. Sproul always used to say, our biggest problem is that God is holy and we are not. However, yeah, what becomes the good news of that? is that that righteousness of Christ is then imputed to us. And I think what we can do or what ha- what can happen is that we actually flip that and we lead right. with the gospel, which I don't mm-hmm. think is anybody would say is bad. But then what we do is then we follow it with the law is we say, you know, here's the good news of the gospel. And then we say, but, and then we bring the law back in. And so rather right. than killing the man off, killing the sinner off with the law so that you can raise them to new life in Christ is you say, here's your new life in Christ, but here's how you continue in it with the law. This is, this is Paul dealing with the Galatians in Galatians chapter three. So they began Mm -hmm. by grace. And then all of a sudden he comes in and he sees this congregation who now lives by law. They're not living by grace. So what does he say to them in chapter three? He goes, okay, did you begin by the works of the spirit or did you begin by the flesh. He says, you began by the Spirit, and if you begun right. by the Spirit, you're going to be perfected or you're going to continue by the work of the Spirit, and that's by faith alone. And what ends up happening is if you've uh, been in a Calvinistic context and you can get confused because people will throw around words like we're Reformed, we're Calvinistic, 
But then you hear sermons, and the sermons sound nothing like they believe in the sovereignty of God. I'll give you an example. If I think there's someone in my congregation, or I'm talking with someone who I I think they're confused and they're not really taking serious the the truths of God's word. They're not living in light of the truth of God's word. I've got two options here. I can either believe that God will transform his own, that sovereignly those whom he justifies, he saves, he right. sanctifies, he he transforms, and one day will glorify. So if I believe that, then that means what this person needs is grace. They actually need to understand the need for grace. They need the gospel. What ends up happening, though, is instead of that, and the reason I believe that is I believe that God's work sovereignly through the Spirit, and the Spirit dwells within them, he'll do his work. I cannot believe that getting them to act better will confirm their salvation. Uh, I, I honestly believe the Spirit lives within someone. The gospel will then transform that person, not their own ambition to do so. We are excited to announce that we have a new free ebook available at our website called Faith Versus Faithfulness, A Primer on Rest. And we, the host, put this together to explain the difference between emphasizing one's faith in Christ versus emphasizing one's faithfulness to Christ and how one leads to rest and how the other often to a lack of assurance. And you can get this at theocast.org slash primer. And if you've been encouraged by what you've been hearing at Theocast, we'd ask you to help partner with us. You can do that by joining our Total Access membership. That's our monthly membership that gives you access to all of our material that we've produced over the last four years, or simply by donating to our ministry. And you can do that by going to our website, theocast.org. We hope that you enjoy the rest of the conversation. Yeah, absolutely, John. Couldn't agree more. I, I kind of have two thoughts. You guys are just throwing out such really, really good stuff. Jimmy, I want to pick up on something that you said just a moment ago about the uses of the law, man. You're, you're exactly right. If we preach the law in all of its holiness, you know, in terms of the first use of it, we, we preach the law in its holiness and yeah. its righteousness, its awesomeness, even though that might not even be a word. We herald that. <laughs> what that does for us as we listen to it and sit under that kind of right law preaching is it crushes us and we don't confuse what's going on. It's like, yeah, like that is what God requires. Praise be to his name. And I am ruined by that. And so now I'm driven outside of myself to the Messiah, to the Christ, to Jesus who has fulfilled the law in my place. But then as we are trusting the Lord Jesus for the believer, we still do uphold the law of God we use it lawfully as the perfect guide for the believer's life, but we yeah. don't preach the law in that third use in a threatening way. We That's we right. speak it and we preach it kind of like we were talking about earlier, that the posture is not so much of cracking a whip from behind and scolding people. But it's more of yeah. like, no, like let's let's behold the Lord Jesus Christ from the word. Let's rely upon the Holy Spirit of God to do his work and let us, you know, as we look at the law, our kind advisor, let us live together this way. Yeah, I think that's the idea of putting the cart before the horse. Exactly. You know, we 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 think about uh you know, we wanna we wanna root uh we mix the indicatives and imperatives of Scripture, right? The the indicatives being what what's true about God, what's what's declarative about God and the gospel, and then the imperatives are, you know, what is our response? How do we do? You know, Romans is structured this way. You know, when Paul writes Romans, he structures it in, you know, the guilt, grace, and gratitude. 
you know, this is those those words are are used heavily within the reformed world. You know, Paul Paul doesn't back off, you know, in Romans chapter one, talking about, you know, the lawlessness of people and, and the righteousness of God. But then he moves into, you know, God's grace. We see this clearly in Romans five. You know, we see this mm-hmm. clearly in Romans eight. Uh, and then he does move into you know, some instructional living for the Christian, but he sure. always puts the horse first, which is the gracious initiation of God in Christ towards the sinner. The confusing part, and, and I know as people are listening to us, they are thinking, but what about Jesus when he does put these requirements on people? Unless you forsake, unless you pick up your cross, unless you uh, leave everything, unless you die. We hear these, and they don't sound like grace. And this is, I think, a great example going back to the law gospel. The difference that you, you have to always understand the audience. When Jesus is speaking some of these right. passages, uh, for instance, the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler came to Jesus in full garb of self-righteousness. I have accomplished this. Will you accept this? In other words, he was saying, I'm almost there, Jesus. Please tell me what I'm lacking is what he mm-hmm. says. And Jesus does not give him grace. He gives him law. And we cannot confuse that. But to the broken, to the person under the law, to the person saying there is no hope for any amount of self-righteousness because I can't have righteousness that God would accept, not my own. Grace is the only diet that is Mm -hmm. acceptable to the person who is standing under the law and is crushed by it. So the law, as we say within a Reformed confessional context— If the law is held up rightly, it is never achievable. But in a context where the where grace is footnoted, we lower the requirements of the law. We 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 lower them to the point where we can achieve them, and they are acceptable. And this is where I think understanding grace grace is not necessary nor desired if it is not underneath the weight of the law. And so we aren't saying remove the law. We are saying keep the law at its highest level. Because it's at that moment you will want grace above anything else. Amen. So we do uphold the law. And like Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.8, like the law is good when it's used lawfully. And so that's all we're advocating for is the lawful use of the law. So yeah, don't relativize it. Preach it in all of its holiness to drive the sinner to Christ. And then we can talk in appropriate ways about the third use of the law. But you're exactly right, John. What happens in so many contexts is that the law is so dumbed down and so relativized that we delude ourselves into thinking that we can do well enough that God will be pleased enough and happy, therefore, to save us. And it produces all kinds of confusion and all kinds of bad things in the church. Well, those who do not jump on grace, it, it, it's almost, um, I've used this illustration in the past, but I'll go ahead and use it again. If, you, if you're looking at a drowning victim and it's very clear they're on their last breath and you herald out to them, swim this direction, like, hey, listen, you're probably confused of where land is. It's this way. You did not provide grace for them. That's not a gracious message. You're saying right. you're, there's still something that's still required. So they they aren't grasping on to anything because that's law. What grace is, is it's that hand as they fall down beneath the water, it grabs them and pulls them out. And the, mm-hmm. our message of grace is trust that hand that grabbed you. Don't ever trust the instructions of where the land is. 
What's scary is that moment you are in somewhat of security, like, okay, I'm no longer dead. I'm no longer drowning. Within human nature, we start to create security within ourselves. Like, okay, yeah, like I've sure. got this. I think, I think I'm going to, I'm going to do my best now. And I think if, unless you see yourself as that constant drowning victim and helpless, the grace is no longer a valuable, a, a value to you. Yeah. Amen, brother. I think what, what I would want to say right now, like just with respect to, you know, some of the preachers out there, or I mean, even people who are listening who are sitting in the pews, but just to give us some perspective on this, I think you're exactly right. I mean, self-righteousness and confidence in ourselves is an epidemic in the church. And so oh, for partly, sure. partly what we're saying here on this podcast today is that we need in evangelicalism, we need to reorient what we see as the main problem in the church. So I think many guys out there with the best of intentions, I don't ever want to impugn anybody's motivations. They see the main problem in the evangelical church being nominalism, right? And so therefore, sure. my posture in the pulpit, you know, the tone and tenor of my teaching and preaching is going to be one that will smoke out the nominal amongst us. Whereas what we are saying in line with the reformers and those of the reformed tradition, we're saying, look, nah, the biggest problem that exists in the church is moralism and self-righteousness, yeah. where we actually think that even post-conversion, this is a problem because we start to kid ourselves into thinking that we are earning some kind of favor with God, You know that somehow what we're doing is meritorious before him. And we can find a false sense of security absolutely in the things that we're doing or in the things that we're abstaining from. Yeah. Yeah, I would say some some passages that would help us with this is that in First uh, Corinthians uh, 3.18, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 3.18, yeah, you have second, Paul yeah. dealing, yeah, you have Paul dealing with what kind of a church? I mean, this church is on fire, they're excited, they're obedient. Is that correct? No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Corinthian no. church— <laughs> the Christian church was not a model church, and it would probably fit the context of many churches that are in existence today, and I would even say conservative churches. And Paul's conclusion to them is this, the glory of Jesus Christ, when you see the glory of God in the Amen, face, brother. in the person of Jesus, that's what draws us out of sin, out of bondage, out of uh, nominalism, out of moral laxity into a proper living a proper understanding holiness and righteousness no, he says that's what draws us to us draws us to him second passage is first john he says the same thing he says now what has appeared is not here yet an anticipation of his coming which is jesus Amen. christ we look to jesus and we transform ourselves or it says we purify mm-hmm. ourselves as he is pure that's right. we aren't running we aren't running from something last passage is uh, hebrews right it says setting aside the weight that easily besets us and the sin. And then what does it say? We were looking unto looking unto Jesus. So it's, we must herald look to and put before sinners grace because grace is what transforms us. It's the grace of Jesus Christ that transforms us into his image. It is not fear, guilt, and law. Those can only condemn us. Amen. Yeah. yeah, John, you're you're exactly right. So 2 Corinthians 3, 1 John 3, Hebrews 12. We've just referenced those things. Those passages amongst others are why like we are called as as guys, all three of us, pastors of churches. Our main job 
every single Lord's Day is to hold the Lord Jesus Christ out for our people. And he, Hmm. that beholding of the Lord Jesus on a weekly basis through the ordinary means of the word is a huge piece of what the Holy Spirit uses to transform us into the image of Christ. So sometimes you'll hear people say like, okay, well, brother, if you're, if you're the point of your message, if the main point of your message every week is Christ and look to Christ, trust Christ, rest in Christ, behold Christ. Like, don't you need to say a lot more about how we should be living? I want to respond to that two ways. Well, one, if you come to CBC and listen to a sermon, you're going to hear plenty of things about how we should live because it's in the Bible. When it's in the text, we're going to preach it. But then second thing is like, look, how do you think, to your point, John, how do you think your life is transformed? You don't change your own heart. The Holy Spirit of God does. As you look to Christ and run towards him in faith, you're casting yourself headlong upon the mercy of God in the Lord Jesus. And by that means, through beholding Christ, we are changed. This is because the Christian life is fundamentally outwardly oriented. We don't look in on ourselves. We look outside of ourselves to Christ. And then, of course, you know, loving one another. Yeah, and this is perhaps where some category confusion comes in, you know, because I mm. think in our world, you know, the five solas are, are pretty, you know, they're pretty standard stock language. But uh, I think in the broader community, even even our use of prepositions, <laughs> you know, hmm. we can almost say we're saved by faith, you know, rather than saying yeah. we are saved through. by grace through faith. Yeah, yeah. And and here's how here's how that really practically plays out is we say you know we're it almost becomes we are saved by our our faithfulness to christ rather than we are saved by the object of our faith which Mm -hmm. is christ and 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 faith becomes this simple channel posture of receiving from christ and so this can almost become this this element of you know hey you're saved by faith and and the average schmo con- schmo congregant can hear okay well my faith is this action to go do the christian life so to speak i think I, to add to what jimmy is just saying what is helpful here the reason why we would hold this position is that in the gospel there's a fundamental truth that we are saved not by the quality of our faith but we are saved by the quality of the one saving. In other words, Mm, your level of salvation and security can never be based upon uh, your intensity of faith. Uh, As a matter of fact, Jesus uses an illustration that I think we confuse. It is the the smallest amount of faith, the smallest amount of faith that is required to in order, and he says move mountains, but I think in in the point of the illustration is that is the evidence of going from death to life. I think coming from death to life is a bigger movement than moving a mountain. Our point yeah. is that if Jesus is the point of salvation, we need to clarify that it's his grace that saves us. It's not our intensity towards his grace right. that ever mm. affirms or confirms or saves mm. us. Yeah, and I would even add to that, John, not, not only is it not our intensity, it's not our sincerity either. Because that's another right. thing that's often said. It's like, 
we're saved by our sincerity of faith or by a sincere effort to obey or whatever it may be. But yet we cannot say enough that it is the Lord Jesus Christ who saves us. And so therefore, the ground of our assurance and our hope and our confidence is always found outside of us in the person and work of Christ. So this is why it's glorious to just continually herald these truths as a pastor and sit under them as a pastor or a congregant, where it's like, hey, all those, all the Father has given me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You know, I will raise them up on the last day, where Jesus makes it quite clear in John 6, 37 through 40, like, hey, this is the will of my Father, that anybody who looks on the Son and believes in him will be saved, will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I'll lose none of all that the Father has given to me. John 10, you know, the passage of Jesus being the good shepherd, it's like, hey, look, Mm, like my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. Like nobody's going to pluck them out of my hand. Our confidence is in Christ and his sufficiency always. And so the reason that I know and I, I'm saying this, I mean, the reason that we know that we're going to make it to heaven is not because of the sincerity of our faith or the intensity of our effort. It's because the Lord Jesus will never fail. He has accomplished everything that we need, and he still lives even now to intercede for us, and therefore we are secure. Yeah, I think that's that's really good, Justin. And this is why you know, I spoke about this with our with our church plant this past Sunday, where honestly, to bring this conversation down to a practical level that why we as a church, we want to rely on what's known as ordinary means, the ordinary means Amen. of grace, uh, where we we talk about, you know, preaching Christ, preaching Christ from all of the scripture, you know, continually pointing people to their baptism. You know, the Westminster Larger Catechism talks about improving your baptism and the reality that's happened there. We also want to continually, and this is why we will, I know you guys do, you, you celebrate the Lord's table weekly yeah. because yeah. the table reminds you, the table reminds you of your misery as a sinner, but also the gracious hand of God where he comes and he says in the table, taste and see that the Lord is good. And, and, and the reason why I want to point this out is because when we rely on ordinary means, we don't, as preachers then, have to have this you know, sort of injudicious attitude where, as you said, Justin, we need to smoke out the carnal, but we trust in the means that God has instituted for his church to create, stir, and establish the faith of the Christian. Amen. Well, it sounds like we uh, have plenty more to say. I know I do. Uh, one of the, if you've uh, been listening, the tagline to our podcast is encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ. One of the re- one of the uh, means by which would prevent that is losing grace. And our hope in this podcast is that we continue to help you understand, apply, and live a life that's based upon the grace of the gospel. And so it's just some good stuff. Um, if for those of you that don't know, we have a membership that helps support our podcast and our ministry. We put out a lot of uh, different materials, and that membership podcast uh, is something we do just for those who help support us. Um, it's an additional conversation that's around here. Any additional thoughts, guys, or things that we're going to probably cover when we get into the membership podcast? Oh, it's going to be spicy. <laughs> I, no, I have a There's a lot of, more to say. Uh, even with yeah. respect to the ordinary means, I, I think there's yeah. tons that we could talk about there. And just the 
the grace of God by the Holy Spirit to conform us to the image of Christ. And yeah, yeah I yeah. think um, a little bit of uh, I want to I want to continue a little bit of the law gospel conversation, some lordship some uh, conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think needs to happen because sure. I think this is where a lot of the nominalism and the fear of nom- uh, the fear of kind of moral laxity comes in. And sure. uh, yeah. I, I've got a couple of things I want to say to that. And of course, we've got uh, some interesting facts about Justin that we're going to share there as well. But <laughs> Ooh, yeah, yeah. Ooh. as always, thanks for listening. We are very, very excited about the future. And there is a much that's coming your way. We've got, if you have not downloaded the free primer, please do so. That's available at our website, Faith versus Faithfulness, which our po- this podcast today would probably be a great uh, uh, co-partner with that book. And there's also some articles that are coming your way. And so anyway, just go to the website, check all of that out. We'll, for those of you that are members, we'll see you over in the members podcast. Thank you for listening to Theocast. If you'd like to contact us or find out additional information about our membership, you can do so at theocast.org.